0: Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 26. Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, reading through verse 38. Listen then, church, to the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and the angel departed from her this is the word of the lord would you pray with me heavenly father god we bless praise your name for this wonderful news of the birth of our savior jesus christ we pray that as this advent season we celebrate the birth of our savior that you would instill upon our hearts the wonder and the mystery of christmas and the glory of what it meant that your son came to be our representative, to to be the new head of the new human race, the new creation. We pray that as we read these texts, as old and well-worn as they are, that they would shine brightly to us, that we would see in them the jewels of truth, goodness, and beauty. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And amen. Well, every, um, every year during the, this season, during the, the month of December, we turn our attention to the birth of Christ. And if you, you're wondering Advent, the reason why it's called Advent is that Advent means coming. And so to celebrate Advent is to celebrate the coming of the Son of God into our world, being conceived of the Spirit, being born of the Virgin Mary, and becoming a man yet ceasing to be the eternal God. So Advent is a sweet time. It's a, a time that um, our church, we look forward to every year. And it's a sweet time really for, for many Christians. And it carries with it in an enormously important reminder. Because especially in, in the conservative evangelical world in churches like ours, we speak a lot about the atoning death Of our Savior Jesus. But our salvation and the salvation of the world is no less dependent upon the incarnation of Christ as it is his substitutionary death and glorious resurrection. So think with me now, there would be no Good Friday and there would be no Easter without Christmas. As we just read together in the Nicene Creed, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Our salvation begins with the most incredible miracle of all miracles. Our salvation begins with the principal miracle, the condescension of the Son of God to come into our world in true human form, the infinite God becoming a babe, the eternal taking upon himself the nature of man, assuming our likeness in all things except without sin, all the while not surrendering his deity. Now, the incarnation is a great miracle, and it's also a great mystery for how the eternal, divine nature and the finite human nature are united in one person, Jesus Christ, is definitely beyond our comprehension. But it's a wonderful mystery because in order for man to be saved from sin and death, there was no other way but for the perfect and holy Son of God to become man that he might be our representative and our Savior, lifting the curse of death from us and reconciling us, bringing us back to God. The Son came down, he stooped down that he might lift us up. Lewis puts it in, in a wonderful way in his book called Miracles. He says, In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. He was incarnate and born for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He was raised for us. The gospel encompasses all the way from Christmas to Easter. It is all of Christ's earthly life from beginning to end, from conception to resurrection for us and for our salvation, as the creed says. So we're reminded of that every year when we celebrate Advent. Now to our passage this morning, we're looking this morning at this well-known story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and giving her this news that God's favor was upon her and that by a miraculous work of the spirit, even though she was a virgin, she was going to bear a son. And this son would be called the son of the most high because he would be the son of God. So from the earthly perspective, the Christmas story begins with a message from heaven to a young Jewish woman, probably in her teens, betrothed, but not married, that God's favor rested on her and that she was going to be the recipient of this unique gift. She would be given a unique privilege to be the blessed mother of the Messiah and the Son of God. Now, it's that incredible favor that God bestows upon Mary that I want us to consider today. Look at verse 26, and we'll read through verse 33 again. and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, in some manuscripts, in the end of verse 28, it reads, Blessed art thou among women. So the King James Version says in verse 28, Hail, this is Gabriel to Mary. <clears throat> Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, Mary. Martin Luther paraphrased the angel's words to Mary like this, "Oh Mary, you are blessed. You have a gracious God. No woman has ever lived on earth to whom God has shown such grace. You are the crown among them all. Now, agree or disagree with the way Martin Luther put it, we must at least agree that God bestowed upon Mary an unparalleled honor. Namely, that she and only she would be the earthly mother of the Savior of the world. Now, I I get that as Protestants, we get a little bit nervous when people talk about Mary like this because we we don't want to be guilty of the Roman Catholic folly of elevating Mary up to a place that really looks very much like the place that only Jesus holds. So we know Mary is not our Savior. No, no. She is not our mediator. She was unlike Christ, not without sin, right? And she was shown great favor by God though. She was given a role of incomparable honor. In her song of praise, she says, and and this is the Magnificat that, that comes right after this, starting in verse 46. Mary says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, his, and holy is his name. So yes, it's absolutely right. We should not give Mary the praise that is only due to Jesus. God's name is holy, not hers. Yet, what does she say about the coming generations? What will they call her? They will call her blessed. Blessed by God. Because God bestowed on her this unique privilege. Privilege. Now, it it shouldn't surprise us at all that God, out of his sovereign and absolutely free will, chose Mary for this great honor. The story of redemption beginning in Genesis and then running all throughout the Old Testament and then into the New Testament where we finally come to the advent of Christ, that story is filled with God sovereignly choosing certain individuals for certain special roles, And surprisingly, maybe to some of us, one of those roles that's carried, special roles that's carried throughout the gospel story, the Old Testament story and into the new is that role of motherhood, that role we call mother. In fact, the glory of motherhood is displayed to us in in this story, in the biblical story. It's weaved throughout the Old Testament and the new, beginning with Eve. And what we find in the creation account when we go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is that childbirth and motherhood was not only God's plan for how the world would be populated, the perpetuation of the human race, but also God's plan for the salvation of mankind. Now, I can say that. That sounds a little crazy, but I can say that because way back in Genesis 3 we see God's promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. This this comes directly after Adam and Eve choose to listen to the deceiver in the garden instead of their creator. And what happens? Well, the result is that the world is plunged into sin and death. And then after that catastrophic event, God says to the serpent, he predicts to the serpent who is the devil, that his demise is coming, that one day an offspring of Eve would crush his head. And in that verse, we have a glimpse, the first glimpse of God's plan for the world, that as sin and death came into this world by one man and by one man's disobedience, so another man would come who by his obedience would slay the great dragon, the enemy of God and man. And yet, that man, that Savior who would come, he would be the offspring of the woman. The hope of salvation would be inextricably tied then to this characteristic that is unique to a woman, that of conceiving and bearing children. And as we know, the promise concerning the birth of our Savior didn't happen immediately. Of course, it could not. In God's providence, there was a story to be told that was going to magnify the glory and the greatness of this Savior. And so in all the generations that preceded the Messiah, God was working through the wonder of childbirth, not only as a means of filling the earth, but as a means of paving the way for the promised Savior. As you're reading through the Old Testament, what are you looking for? You're looking for this promised coming one. So from Genesis to the New Testament, God raises up various men and women to to, to fulfill, fulfill various roles in his plan. And yet, all the while, the hope of man is still resting on the birth of a savior. Think of God's promise to Abraham, right? I will make you a great nation, God said to Abraham. And in your offspring will all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now that promise, again is going to be attained, the promise of God is going to be attained, how? Through childbearing. Yet, with Abraham, there was a problem, wasn't there? There was a dilemma. Sarah, his wife, was well beyond childbearing years. So this other theme emerges. That of God causing the barren womb to be open and be fruitful. And so it was established that the coming of the promised Savior would not depend upon the will or the action of man, but upon God. This is most clearly seen in Isaiah's prophecy, which again centers on the birth of a child, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So here in this announcement to of the angel to mary we finally come to this long awaited day through gabriel's announcement we find out that mary is that virgin that isaiah spoke of and how it was that the virgin was going to conceive how could a virgin conceive and bear a child well by the miraculous work of the holy spirit as the angel says in verse 35 and the angel said to her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, all this is wonderful, and it all builds us up to this event, this moment, when this one woman, Mary, receives the promise, and the promise comes through her. But I I wanna ask you something. Did you notice how much Luke told us about Mary? What does Luke tell us about Mary? Well, Luke tells us that the angel came to her in Nazareth. Luke tells us that Mary was betrothed to this man called Joseph, who belonged to the house of David, and that she was yet to be married and still a virgin. But that's about it. And yet, when you look at the whole of the story, nothing quite compares to the honor that God gives to Mary. The whole history of mankind, listen, the whole history of mankind was leading up to this moment, the birth of the Savior King. But why should Mary be the mother of the Lord? Right? What are her credentials? What has she done that's so great that she gets this privilege? You know, none of the gospel writers, by the way, seem to be concerned at all with laying out Mary's credentials. Mary's holiness, Mary's greatness. So why Mary? Why Mary and why not Elizabeth, who we're told in verse 6, was righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord? Or we might ask, why Mary and not any other woman in the whole history of mankind? Why did God give this incredible favor and grace to her? Have you ever thought about that? One woman, only one woman was given the privilege that Mary was given. You know, when we're in heaven, there'll be plenty of individuals whom God chose as prophets to be his mouthpiece to the people. There'll be patriarchs of Israel. There'll be women of great faith like Rahab and Esther. There'll be A number of kings like David and Solomon that God worked through. Apostles of Jesus. But one and only one mother of the incarnate God, Jesus Christ. One and only one. And notice when Gabriel comes to Mary, Gabriel gives no other explanation than this for God's choice. O favored one, the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God chose Mary for this honor, and we're not told why, and frankly, we don't need to know why. Now, when Gabriel is telling Mary how it will be that she will conceive a child without having been with a man, he goes on to tell her of the miraculous work of God in her relative Elizabeth. Elizabeth was barren as well, it was barren, and like many of the Old Testament um, women like Sarah, and God opened her womb and she, she conceived a son. And so Mary decides to go and see Elizabeth after this. And you have to wonder if maybe she just wants somebody to talk to, Elizabeth was her relative and maybe she wants to confirm what this, the, the angel told her. This was one of the ways that she can confirm it was by going and talking to Elizabeth is Elizabeth indeed pregnant, right? And so we read in verse 39. Look at this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So when Elizabeth sees Mary, the Lord reveals to Elizabeth, that Mary was with child, and not only that, but that her child would be Elizabeth's Lord. Elizabeth was going to give birth to John the Baptist, who was called the prophet of the Most High. Zechariah speaks of his son as the prophet of the Most High in this next chapter. But you remember what Mary, what, what Gabriel had said to Mary, what her son would be called her son would be called the son of the most high. Now think about that. Elizabeth, when Mary came to her, Elizabeth could have said, Lord, why did you choose that for Mary and not for me? Sure, my son, yes, Lord, you you gave me this wonderful gift I was bearing, and I'm going to bear a son, and he'll be called prophet of the most high. But her son is going to be the son of the most high. Mary is obviously younger than me. She has less experience, wouldn't it make sense, Lord, for the, you know, the roles to be reversed? But that's not what Elizabeth says at all. That's not Elizabeth's response. Look, her response is, what an honor it is that I get a visit from the mother of my Lord. Who am I that I get a visit from you, Mary? And blessed are you. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then look at what Mary says. Mary doesn't say, oh, well, yeah, no, it's not. It's not anything, really. Don't make too big of a deal out of it. She doesn't try to downplay the privilege and the grace that God has given to her. Instead, in the presence of Elizabeth, she praises God for it, and she gives all, God all the glory. God showed special favor to Mary, and what did God want Mary to do with that favor? Well, he wanted her to believe it. He wanted to receive his favor and blessing, and then praise the Lord for it. Think about what he wanted from Elizabeth. What did God want Elizabeth to do? With the favor that he gave Mary. He wanted her to believe it. He wanted her to call Mary blessed, and praise God for it. Now all of this is very instructive to us in our society because privilege is often thought today of an evil and terrible thing. You hear that word privilege, does it have a positive connotation or a negative connotation? It has a negative connotation. Generally, people today think of privilege in terms of evil and injustice, but the Christmas story comes to us and it says, God's special favor was shown to Mary. She was given a privilege that no one else was given. And shall we cry out and protest to God or shall we render praise to him? Now, one of the implications of all this is that God's people must not adopt the world's standard or way of thinking when it comes to blessings and privilege, especially when those blessings or that privilege has been handed to you by the Lord. In fact, any good thing that has come to you that was not gained by sinful means can and actually must be attributed to the hand of the Lord. Paul says to the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? In other words, Christian, all the blessings that you can count in your life must be attributed to God. Grace and favor that come from God are unmerited. You didn't earn them. You didn't merit them. And God, listen carefully, God was not obligated to give you any of it. And he's not obligated either to dispense his gifts in an egalitarian manner so that what he gives to one, he must exactly give the same to the other. You see, the God-given strengths and abilities and responsibilities of the man are not the same as the God-given strengths, abilities, and responsibilities of those of the woman. And there is no injustice in God, and it is a blessing to all, and we're to believe it. We're to receive it and we're to praise God for it. The various gifts that he gives by the spirit to the body are not all the same in each member. And there is no injustice in God. And it is a blessing for the whole body. And what are we to do with it? We're to receive it and we're to praise God for it. The role he gives to one is not the same as the role he gives to another. The opportunities that he gives to one are not the same as the opportunities that he gives to another. The influence, the authority, the recognition that he gives to one are not the same as the ones that he gives to another. And on and on we could go listing the ways that God in his sovereignty dispenses gifts in various manners to various individuals in a way that we might be tempted to judge as unfair but we dare not judge as man judges. Now, one of the misunderstandings that we have of God dispensing his gifts as he does is that we think of it kind of like grandma dishing out the very last few pieces of apple pie on Thanksgiving. You know, there's only so much, this is a zero-sum game, There's only so much pie that's gonna go around that table before the pan is empty. And the more that your brothers and your sisters get, the less that you get. But that's not how God's favor and his grace works. God's favor, his grace, his gifts are not limited like this, nor are they given to the detriment of the other. He's a good God who like a good father, gives good gifts to his children with the purpose, listen, with the purpose of those gifts, ultimately resulting in the joy and the praise of the nations. And this is most clearly seen in the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, who was given to us all through God bestowing his favor in a unique way upon Mary, the blessed mother of our Lord. When God blessed Mary, and he chose her to be the earthly mother of his heavenly son, it was for the blessing of the whole world. Now this is an essentially, uh, especially essential lesson for us to learn and apply to our hearts at Christmas time. And I say that because whenever there are gifts given, whenever certain blessings are given to some and not necessarily given to others, the stage is set for either praise and joy or envy and bitterness. And listen, this isn't just the case for children at Christmas time, but it does make an obvious illustration to this point. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you have a memory of it when you were a kid. You know, Christmas morning came, it finally came, and all of the gifts were dispensed, and everyone. tore open the the wrapping and got their gifts and you looked around and you felt like you got the short end of the stick. Why did you feel like you got the short end of the stick though? Well, probably because you were comparing what you got with what somebody else got. What your brother got, what your sister got, what your cousin got, or maybe what your friend next door got. But this problem of envy doesn't just stop when you grow up, does it? We just get better at dressing it up as something else. As we get older, our sights are generally set on gifts beyond those that are placed under the Christmas tree, but it's the same old deal. You look at what someone else has, and you feel a a resentment in your heart because you feel like you deserved that gift. Where they got it and you didn't get it, and so that's not fair. And listen, this could apply to almost anything. It could be their wealth, and what their wealth enables them to buy, wear, or do. It could be their family. And maybe you aren't just looking at one person, but it feels like everyone else has this thing that you don't have. I look around at our church and Most of you are married. Most of you have kids. But some of you aren't. Some of you are single, and you might walk in here, and you look around at all the people who are married, and you're like, everyone's married but me. Everyone has a husband but me. Everyone has a wife but me. Or maybe you're married, and you tried for years to have kids. And you look around, and you say, everyone has kids but me. God has blessed everyone around me, but he hasn't blessed me in that way. Or maybe it's friendship. Like you look around and you see people who are really close, really tight. If the kids say it that way these days, I don't know, whatever you say. Everybody has friendships like that but me and for some reason I just struggle to build relationships like that. I'm an introvert, this isn't fair, they're extroverts. God has given them this great blessing of being able to talk to people I don't know how to talk to people. I'm an engineer. Mechanical engineer. We have a lot of those here. You see what's happening though. God has granted to others what he hasn't granted to you. He's blessed them in certain ways but he hasn't blessed you. And either you will, either you'll do what Elizabeth did and call them blessed by God and praise God for it or you'll just grow envious and bitter. And when we're envious, we might think that our gripe is with them and what they have or how they carry their blessings around on their sleeves. But actually our gripe is with God and the way in which he's dispensed his gifts. And what ends up happening is envy destroys our joy and it stifles our praise. The good news is that Christmas destroys envy. Christmas bears the good news that destroys envy. And this isn't just because in the Christmas story we have this example of Elizabeth who didn't envy Mary. It's because the good news is, of Christmas is a proclamation that goes from Bethlehem out into the whole world. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel said to the shepherds in Luke 2, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You know, if, if, if you were one of the shepherds, imagine how preposterous it would have, it would have been when the angel said that to say, "Wait a second, why didn't God choose my betrothed wife? Why Mary? Why was my wife, my betrothed wife considered for the part? Or why why wasn't I considered for the role that Joseph got to play?" No, don't you see, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. All the gifts that God gives, all the various stations that he ordains, all the blessings that he dispenses, they're all meant to point us to the ultimate gift, the coming of his son into our sin-cursed world, to dispense light and life, to disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death-dark shadows put to flight. He came to be the hope of the nations, to the praise of the triune God's glory and grace. Christmas beckons all to hear and believe the good news. Christ the Savior and King has come, and He is the one, and He is the only way to salvation. And for all who come to Him, for those who receive life in His name, in the end, not one of us will say to God, Why did you hold out on me? Not one of us will say, Why did you give Him or her that role and not me? Why did you bless Him or her with that gift and not me? Instead, we'll say, oh Lord, why me? How could you be so gracious and give me such great blessings as you have? On that day, we will be immersed in the fullness of joy in all of God's good gifts and blessings to all of his people. will serve to display his grace unmerited and unearned that we might render to him all the praise and all the glory. So this Christmas, friends, consider all the good gifts that God has given to you, especially the gift of Jesus Christ. Receive them in faith and praise him for all of it. And when you see how he has blessed others in ways that he hasn't blessed you, call them blessed and praise God for it. Don't let envy destroy your joy or stifle your praise. And if you're tempted to be envious of what God has given to others or when you're tempted to think that you deserve more than you've been given or a better lot, then remember the Christmas announcement unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Not only is he more than we deserve, he is more than we need for more joy than we can imagine. Amen. Amen. James 1 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we ask that you would give us a greater apprehension of your grace this Christmas season, that neither boasting nor envy would take hold in our hearts, but only earnest, heartfelt, and joyful praise to you, for indeed you are good, and you have blessed us in so many ways. And principally, we praise you this morning for the blessing of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.